This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Well, the one thing I'm sure we can all be on the same page about is no matter what happens with this Morgan Riley hearing, virtual now because of the storm in New York City, one thing we can be sure of is that all the takes will be very, very level-headed. No one will be over-emotional one way or the other. Nobody will make grand pronouncements of bias or favoritism or hatred or etc., 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 fill in the blank. Everyone will have a very level-headed thought on this one, and there won't be any outrageous forehead-slapping takes. Or I could be wrong. Uh, Corey Schneider is going to stop by here from the NHL Network, former NHL Netminder, uh, in a couple of moments, about 15 minutes' time. Curtis Pichelka catches us up on the San Jose Sharks, who are now down two centers. Logan Couture, again, Tomas Hurdle um, with, uh, with the knee surgery. Uh, and Elliot Friedman is going to stop by at uh, 1 o'clock Eastern, so in one hour's time, he's at the uh, Maple Leaf St. Louis Blues skate. Uh, it is the first game, the first Riley-less game uh, for the Toronto Maple Leafs this evening. And again, the headline story is the uh, Department of Player Safety and the hearing with Morgan Riley and how many games does he get. Depending on your perspective on the sport itself and where it's at and how you feel about it and you, how you feel it should be disciplined, can be anywhere from zero to 200 based on social media activity and editorial. So we'll get into all of this coming up in uh, an hour or two with Elliot Friedman. Meantime, Matt Marchese with me here. Did you watch any of the New Jersey game last night, Matty Marchese? Because I, if you didn't, we have a whopper of a quote from Jack Hughes after New Jersey wins 3-1 to one as the final score. I watched a little bit of the game. I didn't see the post-game quote. I was informed that there was one, and I heard it's very good. Oh, Okay, get on your uh, put your thinking toque on okay. here, Maddie Marchese, and let me know what you think of this quote from Jack Hughes. This is after the three to one win, and after we should point out he banked a shot off Joey Decord's <laughs> I, I head <laughs> <like> <laughs> from the left side, as only Jack Hughes can. I love Jack Hughes. Uh, here's Jack Hughes after the game yesterday. Nice win by the Devils. For this one, it seems like Nico Dawes obviously dialed in 27 saves for him, and you guys had that buy-in defensively. What's been the biggest adjustment and maybe compete that we're seeing from your group? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, Dawes, he played really well, so when you get the saves, uh, much easier to win. So, uh, great game out of him. <laughs> when you get the saves, it's much easier to win. Oh, Nico Dawes up on the, on this one. 27 save performance. When you get the saves, it's much easier to win. Over to you, Vanacek. Holy smokes, your thoughts on uh, on Jack Hughes. Like, you know that he's trying to compliment Nico Dawes, but given how the goaltending has gone for the New Jersey Devils for the past three or four seasons... Ah, you know how that one's going to get interpreted, Maddie. I sure do. Um, I just there, there's two parts of of this for me. One is I do think he's trying okay. to compliment Nico Dawes because if we are looking based on the numbers, Nico Dawes has been the better of the three goalies that have played for the New Jersey Devils this year. Now, having said all that, there is kind of a like I don't think that Jack Hughes is a guy that. It, like he's a, he seems like a really easygoing guy. Like you you know him a little bit. You've interviewed him a couple times. Like feels yep. like a really easygoing guy. But there's also there's a level of compete. Like he grew up with two brothers who are also last time I checked very competitive and very good at what they do. So he's kind of feeling like what yeah. else do I have to do here? You know, helping carry this team offensively, and it doesn't matter some nights because our goaltending sucks. Um, that there's kind of that part into it. Not that I think that he meant that outwardly there, but you know he's probably feeling that. Like, we all watch the games. Mm-hmm. We all see what the Devils have in net. Frankly, it's not very good. And you made the point yesterday. If this team had a goalie, how much better would they be even without Dougie Hamilton in the lineup? So, I I, I mean, yep. I, I think now, like you said, it's going to get interpreted a certain way, and I don't know that it necessarily you know, was 100% what Jack Hughes was getting at. But I also think there was a little portion of it where he was like, yeah, I'm going to say this, and I kind of don't care how it's interpreted. Okay, so maybe not 100%, but uh, 70%, yeah, say that. 60%. Where do you where do you want me to 70. stop? 70. I'll go 70. Like, I just think it's impossible. I, I just think it's impossible, Maddie, to say something like that and not understand how that is going to be 100%. interpreted around the hockey world, and it is being done that way. Speaking of goaltenders, uh-huh. uh, I cannot remember the last time. I cannot remember the last time we saw 
a game that was 2 nothing with an empty netter from Jimmy VC, who, by the way, may feel like he has the most empty net goals in the NHL this season, but he doesn't. He has three. That. It always seems like Jimmy VC's score. You know his number one? I'll spoil it for you. Brandon Hagel. Brandon Hagel okay. has five. That's a good uh, number. The Tampa Bay Lightning. Anyhow, but anyway, VC scores to make it 2 nothing. but essentially it's a one nothing game. Rangers over the Calgary Flames last night. That was your classic goaltending battle. Shesterkin is back, baby. He had a good game against Chicago to kick off the weekend and then was excellent last night against the Calgary Flames to take nothing away from Jacob Markstrom, who was phenomenal. And listen, the rumors are going to stay about Jacob Markstrom and the Calgary Flames. I don't think that's going anywhere. We just started off the show by talking about the New Jersey Devils and goaltending. We know there's been conversations between those two sides before. Uh, I don't know who goes the other way in any proposed deal, but if I'm Calgary, I have to be thinking about someone like Dawson Mercer. I'm not sure if that's the name, so don't treat that like it's a report. That's just me speculating, but I would wonder if those conversations, as maybe they have gone cold, uh, heat back up at certain points between now and, and trade deadline. Markstrom was great. Shesterkin was phenomenal, and Shesterkin tried to score the empty netter, netter before Jimmy Which you love. got one. Oh, I just and you don't love it. I do. Like the, the whole place started chanting too. Like all of MSG started chanting for Shesterkin for love Igor it. to score that goal. Like when he winds up, like he's gonna take that shot. The place pops like a cork out of a champagne bottle. It was fantastic. That was a really good, essentially one nothing game. When's the last time you saw a one nothing game that good? It was phenomenal last night. That was I, great. I've seen a lot of four three games that aren't good, Jeff. So it's a nice change when you have, I know because like, one nothing games can be. They can be very good. Lots of chances, lots of good saves. Like we don't give the, you know, we all a lot of time. A lot of time we want to see six five because it's chaotic. But it's nice to give the goalies a little bit of love every once in a while. I know we do on this I've, program, but like you know, the, uh, go ahead, Jeff. Go ahead. I was going to say the the I've I've never. I understand what people will want, and you mentioned 6-5, which is the very Canadian hockey score. That was 1972. That was 1987. If you're going to pick a score and say that's a Canadian score, well, 6-5, to five, that's it, because that was Henderson and that was Gretzky de Lemieux, and it wasn't just those games either. That is the Canadian score. I know we want those, those types of games because goals are excitement, blah, blah, blah. I, I just care about scoring chances. Mm-hmm. I just care about, like, momentum swings and scoring chances and uh, turnovers leading to scoring chances. It doesn't have to be a 6-5 game. But give me like a million chances, and I'm happy. I don't care if it's one nothing, two nothing, zero zero. I guess you can't have zero zero. Uh, but I think you know what I'm getting. As long as there's scoring chances, I don't care. I don't care at all. That's why I love that game, that Calgary Ranger game last night. Mm, magnificent, well, magnificent the, game. The the best part about that was, uh, listen, it's been no secret that Igor Shesterkin has struggled this year, and he struggled last year too. Like if we're being honest, this is not like a a, a forty game sample size here. Like we're talking about into last year as well. And the the thing that I love the most, and I think this is where it can be really hard for goalies when you're in a rut like that, but it, it was a quote uh, from Vince Mercogliano that Shesterkin gave, and it was, I just tried to have fun and stop the puck. And to me, like, yep. if you can... That is when goalies are at their best. Like, that is when you're playing so loose, and and that's when, you know, you can have a lot of success. Jeff, it was a week ago that we were talking about, not even a week ago, that we were talking about Jonathan Quick and how well he was playing in the absence of Igor Shosturkin playing well. And now you look at the Rangers and go, okay, they were good, and their backup goalie was their better goalie. Uh. Now how do we look at the New York Rangers if this is the beginning of the resurgence of Igor Shosturkin that we saw when he won the Vesna Trophy and, you know, got MVP votes? Especially from you, he got MVP votes. Truth. Uh, I even seem to recall some idiot on radio saying that Jonathan Quick is the number one netminder in New York. Well, you said it tongue-in-cheek. <laughs> uh, no, I didn't, because he was. Uh, he was, he but like that. imagine having a 1A and 1B. That's that's kind of good. Look no further than the Boston Bruins. Like It's nice to have that kind of luxury. Yeah. You know who would like that? New Jersey. It really is. <laughs> Uh, no kidding. Like, I think that those conversations heat up again between those two, just yeah. like, and listen, we're going to, we're going to talk about Nashville a little bit later on in the, in the, in the program here. Um, but I, I'm really starting to wonder if they, if they try it again with UC Saros. Like last year, we had a lot of conversation going into trade deadline about UC Saros and the Los Angeles Kings. 
And I know that there were rumors earlier on this year about Byfield. I can't see Byfield being part of any any type of, of deal like that, not given how Byfield's playing and, and how he projects. I, I really can't see that for two years at UC Soros, but who knows? Um, but I would I would imagine that, you know, now that, you know, Yaroslav Askarov has played so well for Milwaukee, probably nothing left to prove there, not unlike Dustin Wolf with the Calgary Flames, and they're going to have to find a road for him and make a path for him to get to the NHL in Calgary. They're going to have to make a path here for Askarov in Nashville. And I know that Barry Trotz loves UC Saros, and maybe in a perfect world he resigns UC Saros, but I can't help but thinking that once again, going into deadline, we're going to talk about goaltenders and we're going to talk about Markstrom and we're going to talk about UC Saros. And I still wonder about the Los Angeles Kings with UC Saros, just like I still wonder about the Carolina Hurricanes. Yeah. I really, really do. And, you know, pick a goal scorer off the Carolina Hurricanes. You know, whether it's, you know, Martin Natchez, who just scored a natural hat trick last week, who is a supremely skilled player with Carolina. You've heard me say it before. You know, that's a guy who might be the most skilled player on the Hurricanes, period. And this is a team that has like Teravinen and Ajo on it. I still think uh, that Natchez is the most talented skill-wise of anybody on that team. Would that make some sense? Uh, I would have to think Carolina and Los Angeles are probably top two teams if... Nashville is looking to make a move with Saros, and I, given where where Nashville wants to go and what they already have in Yaroslav Askarov, I I wonder if we're talking more about this heading into March eighth, Maddie. I really do. Yeah, I think this the goalies this year are the you know how every other year it's a you know you got to get defensemen. You got well, I think you have to have goaltending depth now. I think if you if you think that you are fine in net, you are probably fooling yourself. Unless you have like a Connor Hellebuck or you know Jake Ottinger, or, mm-hmm. you know the, the Bruins tandem, whatever. Go down the list. Uh, you brought up Natchez there. I'm curious yeah. to get your thought on this because there are yeah. two players okay. on the Carolina Hurricanes that I look at and say I'm always left wanting more from a production standpoint. Now, one of them has been affected mm-hmm. by injury. The other is just inconsistent play. Um, not wildly inconsistent, but somewhat inconsistent. Do you think yep. that there is something to be said about the way the Hurricanes play and the statistical uh, ventures of Andrei Svechnikov and Martin Natchez? Svechnikov's problem is the hospital bracelet. Mm-hmm. I keep coming back to that one. And again, this year, same thing. What's what's Svechnikov's problem? He can't get the hospital bracelet off. That That is that that because I... You've heard me say it. You should be penciling this guy in for 40 goals a year. Yeah. Guaranteed. Stay healthy. The, the baseline is minimum for Andrei Svechnikov. Um, but uh, as as far as, as Natchez goes, like I know he can drive coaches to frustration. I understand how he's done that with Rod Brindamore. Um, does he leave you wanting more based on his skill set? Yeah. But I could also say the same thing about Jesperi Kotkaniemi. Sure. With, uh, with with the Carolina Hurricanes. Like there there's a few there. And But the thing is like now – now that Carolina is really starting to put it together, and they have, I guess, since, I don't know, what's the demarcation point? Probably like early December, maybe the first week of December, they've really started to get on a, on a heater here, remind everybody that they're legit Stanley Cup uh, contenders once again. Are they a goaltender away? Well, given the carousel there, probably would have to be in the goalie market. I wonder, listen, I wonder about Edmonton as well, still, with, uh, with, with the goaltending and, you know, whether they're a goaltender away from competing. I know that there's, you know, depth issues up front as well with Edmonton, but I still wonder about a goaltender there. But, yeah, there's, to me, Svechnikov is, is just about injury. Uh, Natchez is the one that it's going to take a, it's going to take a special coach to, to, to figure out that riddle uh, and to get him to play consistently. Is Andrew Brunette that guy in Nashville? Maybe. We'll see. Yeah, I, quick, just a quick we'll, one. You we'll talk about, about Carolina. Um, just a quick one, just for your yep. reference. Um, they since December first, they have the second most points in the Metropolitan Division, uh, and they play two less games than the Flyers, who have the most. So that's how good the Carolina Hurricanes have been. They are seventeen, eight, and four since December first. Yeah. And with that win last night, Philadelphia now a scant one point away from second place in the uh, Metropolitan Division. Okay, Matt, I want to check in with you in a little bit, and we'll talk about your favorite player from King City, 
No, it's not Mario Ferraro. It's the other defenseman in the uh, in, in the Western Conference. We'll uh, we'll get there coming up in a couple of moments. Uh, in the meantime, to go over a number of things here, and it's not just going to be related to, to goaltenders. It's going to be related to a lot of different things from around the NHL. He's former NHL goaltender, now MSG Network analyst. He is the great Corey Schneider, and he joins me now. Corey, how are you today? Good, good. How you doing? Uh, I'm doing well. So last night watching that Calgary-New York game, uh, supreme performances by both goaltenders. Like, we were making the point off the top of the show, I don't really care what the score is as long as I get a lot of scoring chances. And that was, you know, listen, there was an empty netter from Jimmy Vesey, but essentially that's a one nothing game. Uh, could have been 2 nothing if Shesterkin would have scored when he went for the net at the end, too. Uh, but that was a great game played by two goaltenders. My big takeaway at the end of it is Igor Shesterkin is back. That's two really good games in a row, Chicago and Calgary. Uh, are you picking up what I'm putting down about Shesterkin? Is he back for the Rangers? <laughs> I mean, it's a great sign. It's, uh, you know, two games is a quick sample, but I, I think his body of work in his career um, shows that he's obviously capable of it. So, uh, I, I mean, I hope he's back. He, he's fantastic. He's one of my favorite goalies to watch in the league, and um, I think the Rangers only go as far as he'll take them. They have a good team this year, but he's the backbone of that team, so you can mm-hmm. see what's happening when – He's put a couple of good games together in a row, and, and again wins and uh, holding the opponents to, to low-scoring games. So, uh, but I think it's a good sign. I think the All-Star break helps. Sometimes it's good to give it a reset to kind of just recalibrate a little bit. Clearly, he's come back from it, feeling yeah. a little bit better about his game. I caught, I caught part of it last night. He made some big saves, some acrobatic, athletic saves. So, I think when you're feeling it as a goalie, those are kind of ones that you look to see, and he's making them right now. You know, it's interesting you mentioned All-Star break as well because, you know, at the uh, All-Star weekend in Toronto, he played on, on Team Matthews, and I thought he was exceptional. Like, you know this, Corey. Like, the only the only position that has to really try in these All-Star games is, is goalie because, you know, the players are, <laughs> yep. you know, we all understand the, the code. But, like, I, if, I'm a, if I'm a GM in the NHL, Corey, like, the last position that I want going to the All-Star game is my goaltender because no one's going to get hurt except maybe the goalies who is post-to-post post and up and down and rockets of shots and uh, no one's defending or, or helping out the goaltender but I thought he was really good like I kind of said it tongue-in-cheek but I was saying to myself you know coming away from the game last last Saturday uh, or or two Saturdays ago at at all-star is there a chance that the all-star games for Igor Shosturkin helped turn around his season because I get it that it's just all-star but he looked fantastic Corey yeah I mean obviously it's it's a little to say if it's turning a season around but I think you know having played in an all-star game it's it's a confidence booster. You get there. I know he was a little self-deprecating as if he didn't deserve to go, or he kind of was lucky to be going. He shouldn't be there. Yeah. But um, I think once you're there and you're rubbing elbows with the best in the league and uh, you're going through those fun events, I, I think it, it, as a goalie, it can give you a lot of confidence, to be honest. It makes you feel like you belong with the best and um, those events. And it, mm-hmm. it brings the competition out of you. Like I said, as a goalie, you can't really take the event off. You have to, you know, try and, and compete. Otherwise you're going to look pretty <laughs> silly. So, um, maybe it's just that fun environment where there's no pressure, but you're able to, you know, focus and, and uh, you see a lot of good shooters and make some saves, makes you feel a little bit better about yourself. So I, I don't disagree that um, that game can definitely help you and give you a little springboard in the second half. Alongside Corey Schneider from MSG Network, former NHL goaltender. I want to get one more goalie question in here before I, I blow it out and talk more about the Rangers. Um, I'm going to really stick my neck out here and maybe sound dumb. Let's see where we go. Um, Russian goaltenders, whether it's Shosturkin, whether it's Sorokin, whether it's Vasilevsky. To me, when I look at Russian goaltenders around the post specifically, I wonder, are their hips different than North American (laughs) netminders? Like, I look at the way that they play and I say, first of all, do they even have hips? Like, the way that they move is so completely unique, it seems to me, to the goaltending position. A, is that something, like, is that really a thing? Like, Russian netminders' hips and, and how they play? And and what's different about about Russian goalies? Because it seemed as if, you know, the uh, the, the goalie factory now uh, now exists in, like, St. Petersburg or, or Moscow. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely been a trend that the Russian goalies have, have taken over the league to an extent. The, you, know, you just named three of the best in the league right now, and they're all Russian. Bobrovsky, you could throw in there some other guys. But, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, you know, I don't know if they're – I'm not sure if their hips are different. I haven't thought about that, you know, anatomical aspect of it. But um, <laughs> it's clear that they're they're doing something different over there in terms of the development of them. And one thing I've read and heard about the Russian system is that they're not afraid to elevate goalies quickly. So if you're a young kid and – you're dominating your level. They, yeah. they kind of throw you in the fire. They, they put you in against the men, the men's league, and at 15, 16 years old, and I know Shesterkin and Sorokin and those guys kind of did that. And 
some, you know, sometimes it's a bit of a sink or yeah. swim mentality. And the ones who swim uh, become the elite goalies because they're tested at a young age and exposed to a higher level of hockey. So, um, yeah, I think there's definitely something to what they're doing over there in terms of uh, pumping out goalies. But, it, you know, like you mentioned the hips, but I, when I watch those goalies you just listed, I think it's the body control for me. It's, it's how they're able to maneuver their lower half but keep their upper half uh, upright and tall. They play, you know, they play an athletic you know, side to side, they can get their legs spread and, and make those saves, but they're also able to maintain their body position and stay upright and be tall in the net. They're not falling forward and diving and swimming around the net. So whatever they are teaching over there, I think it's, it's led to some guys with incredible edge work and body control. You know, Shesterkin and Sorokin kind of hover around the net. It feels like they're not really, you know, on the ice. Yeah. They're almost uh, effortlessly moving and changing direction. So um, there, there definitely is something there. Maybe it is something to do with their training and how they work their hips and stretch and, tr- and work out and all that kind of stuff. But um, that part of it, I don't know. I don't quite know yet. You know, I've always, uh, anyone that I've ever asked about in the goalie community, about Shesterkin specifically, is they rave about the skating and like how he skates and the strength and how much, you know, just growing up, you mentioned like they'll throw them in, like, you know, punch over your weight, kid, get in there and stand in front of these shots. Um, the, the one thing that a lot of people come back to is just he is such a sublime skater. And we don't, I don't think, pay enough attention to goalies and their skating. We do with forwards. Oh, look at Connor McDavid, look at Dylan Larkin, et cetera, Jordan Cairo. But we don't look at goalies and say, wow, look how beautiful his skating is as a goaltender. You could talk about that with a lot more authority than I can, Corey. Yeah, I, again, I think people don't, uh, uh, you know, I think people underestimate the skating impact it has. I mean, we're not talking straight up, straight line speed or crossovers, but uh, edge control and balance yeah. and body weight and things like that. Like, that's what we talk about when we're talking goalie skating. Um, so, I mean, these guys are all fantastic skaters now, especially the way they handle the puck. I think that's part of skating. You looked at a guy like Marty Brodeur, the reason he was so good at handling pucks is because he could skate so well. He can get out of the net. He can, you know, get across, get to puck, yeah. position himself, and use his balance and leverage. So I think you, said, you mentioned Shesterkin went for the goal. He's a great puck handling goalie, and I think a lot of that comes from his edge work and balance mm-hmm. and, and control in the net. So, um, you know, it's it's a key element to the game. If you can't, you know, if you can't do that kind of goalie skating, you'll never make it. So I think, um, you know, again, whatever development path they have in Russia in terms of uh, working with these guys on their skating and building their technique and their transitions from edge to edge and post to post, it's, it's almost seems effortless. So it's, it's fun. You know, I, I, I played with Soroka, Ely and Soroka for a couple of years there and um, just to watch him in practice, mm-hmm. it was like, I can never, I can never do some of the stuff he does now. So um, <laughs> it, is, it is a marvel to watch and it gives them an advantage over a lot of the other goalies in the league. Um, let's talk about goalies turned coaches and we'll focus in on Patrick Waugh. I mean, as, as anyone who has even a, 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 pa- a passing knowledge of, of the NHL, it's rare that goaltenders, you know, um, end up as the head coach of an NHL team. So there's like the Emil Francis's and the, the Glenn Hanlon's and, and now we have Patrick Waugh. Um, what does he bring to the New York Islanders that some of his predecessors, most notably the, the man he replaced in Lane Lambert, don't? Like, w- what is there for the Islanders that Patrick Waugh can offer that other coaches can't offer? Yeah, you know, I've been fortunate to cover a couple games for the Islanders since uh, he, you know, he took over. And, um, and there's no disrespect to Lane Lambert, who was there before. Lane's an incredibly detailed, intelligent guy. He's, he's super focused, and, mm-hmm. you know, he delivers his message very clearly. But, yep. you know, I, I think Patty Waugh brings in that passion and that energy. Um, even go back to Barry Trotz, you know, very understated, not, you know, not a man of many words, screaming and yelling. He's very direct and blunt, but, yeah. you know, I think Patty brings that energy. And I think for that group who, you know, they've been together on the island for a long time, that core group of guys, so they've played together for eight, ten years. Sometimes you need that. Sometimes you need somebody to come in and just sort of bring the energy and uh, just sort of inspire guys again. And just listen to Patrick talk. It's it's captivating. You know, he, he's honest. He's blunt. He doesn't, you know, he gives thoughtful answers. Uh, he thinks things through and, and clearly he, he supports his players. He doesn't throw them under the bus. He's very passionate about when they succeed and rewarding them when they're playing well. And I think you can tell that he'll, he'll die for the, his players and the players reciprocate that they, they understand when a coach has your back, when he's not trying to bury you, when he's on your side, I think that that goes a long way. And, and Patrick, while well, he expects a lot, and he demands a lot. I think the players know, okay, if, if I work hard for this guy, he's going to do everything he can for me. And I think that's kind of an under, Underrelated part of being a player is is having the coach's trust can mean so much to you confidence wise and I think Patrick has been bringing that to the island and like I said just you know the record's been okay but I think their style of play and the way they've been playing has been a lot better and different even though the results haven't been there so um, yeah. they're gonna need it because you know they're obviously scratching and clawing for a playoff spot in the East but I think it was a it was a sure. bold move but a good move by by Lou. 
Do, do you think it's um? Do you think it's more difficult? Like I'll think of like you know Sorokin here and and, and Verlamov. Like do you think it's more difficult for them to be goaltenders with Patrick Waugh as the head coach? Like a lot of head, I mean you know this Corey. Like a lot of head coaches just like I'm just leaving them the goalie coach. I'm not a goalie. I don't understand it. I'm just leaving them alone. Do you think it's worse or easier that there's like one of the best goaltenders of all time as the head coach of the team? Sure, they'll have the goaltending instructors as well, but the big boss was a pretty good goaltender too. Does that make it easier or harder? That's a good question. I mean, I, I don't know exactly what his interactions are like with the goalies. Um, you know, I know Varley, when I you know was playing with him, he had Patrick in Colorado, and, and he loved him. He thought he was great. Yep. Um, and, I, and I think I, I'm hoping Patrick, you know, at this point understands like, Hey, I'm the head coach. I'm not the goalie coach. And I'm sure he has his thoughts and opinions and he picks who starts. So that's obviously a good guy to, to base a pick off of with Patrick's experience. But, you know, I heard him in the press conference the other day, sure. you know, the first goal that went in was a little iffy for by Mackenzie Weger there against Calgary, you know, Varley led in one that he probably shouldn't have. And in the presser, you know, Patrick said, Hey, look, I know Varley. I'm sure he'll take a look and, and decide himself if, if he should have had it, but I'll always be behind my goalies 100%. You know, he just sort of came out and said that unprompted. So, um, you know, I think as long as they mm-hmm. feel like, you know, he's supporting them and you don't want too many cooks in the kitchen. You don't want to hear something from your goalie coach and then hear something different from your head coach. And now you're sure. kind of like, all right, well, I want to impress my head coach more than my goalie coach because I want to play. So, uh, you know, my hope is that Patrick yeah. understands that and it seems like he does. He's a smart guy. He's been a goalie. He knows what it's like to get a lot of input from different people. So uh, obviously he knows what he's talking about and knows what he's watching, but it seems like for the most part, he's kind of leaving the goalies alone to Piero Greco who, who works with them every day. Okay. Uh, two more. And the last one's going to be a goofy one, but I don't really consider it goofy, but I'm going to test it out on you, Corey, and see where we go. But before we get there, um, who's the most intriguing goalie for you come trade deadline time? I mean, March 8th is on the horizon. Uh, we've wondered about Jacob Markstrom and the conversations with the Devils. I started the show off talking about UC Staros, and you know, I, I really don't believe that the conversations with LA are totally done. I do wonder about Carolina with Saros as well. Are, are, so, are there any goaltenders out there that you really wonder about coming up to uh, trade deadline time? Yeah, I mean, you just read off a couple of them. You know, Markstrom's an interesting case. I, I think he's a little less desirable, not because of his ability, but because of his age. He's 34, and I believe he's got some term left on his contract. So for teams yep. looking, you know, for now into the future, maybe that's not a, a fit for certain for certain teams. Um, uh, you, you said it said his name. I, I, the guy I'm keeping an eye on is, is Saros. He's having a bit of a down year, but he's proven the last four or five years that he's one of the game's top five or six goalies. And, uh, his age is a little bit better. He's yep. in his late 20s. He's got one year left, I believe, at a manageable cap hit. So, um, to me, that's a guy who you'd probably have to give up more for him than, than a Markstrom. But um, he's a guy who could you can get two playoff runs out of at a decent number before he you know goes unrestricted and cashes in. So, uh, I think his age fits better with the yeah. timelines of some teams. And I think his track record's a little more proven or consistent at this point than some of the other guys out there. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, and again, I, I think with Nashville, it's an interesting case because they're they're in the hunt, but they're sort of in the middle of a retool. You know, they bought out Duchesne and Johansson, and um, they're kind of in the middle of, of their identity. So are they, you know, really to ride it out for the next two years with, with Saros and then have him walk if he doesn't stay? So I think they're in a position where, you know, I think they have a young kid, Askaroff, who they picked 10th or 11th overall a few years ago, oh, yeah. coming up and playing playing well yep. in the American League, so they might have a ready-made solution. So, you know, for Barry Trotz, you know, he loves goaltending and defense, but I think if he sees an opportunity where somebody's going to blow him away with an offer for – a guy who, you know, might be here for one more year and then leave, I think he's really got to consider it. And, and I think Saros, as you mentioned, those, those teams, L.A., New Jersey, Carolina, he could be a difference maker for any one of those teams down the stretch here and even next year. Okay, I'm going to ask you one thing, and please don't be shy about saying, Jeff, you're an idiot. Like, there's no way this is ever going to happen, and if you're, if you're going to try to will this into existence, it's not going to work. But... Uh, I'm a big fan of Marc-Andre Fleury. I think we all love Marc-Andre Fleury, and I don't think we want it to end this way for Marc-Andre Fleury. We want at least one more year out of Marc-Andre Fleury. But there is nothing in the definition of the Lady Bing Trophy that precludes a goaltender from winning it. If I said to you, Corey Schneider, I think Marc-Andre Fleury should win the Lady Bing, what would you say to me? Uh, I wouldn't call you an idiot necessarily. I would say I had not considered that a goalie could win the baby ling, Lady Bing. So... Uh, I would say that you're pretty innovative and in thinking outside the box there. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's most, most gentlemanly, so I suppose, you know, people always equate it to penalty minutes, but, um, you know, it'd almost be like a, a good guy award for the year for Mark because everyone loves him so much. But, yeah, um, I, I, you know, it hadn't really crossed right. my mind that a goalie could be eligible for the Lady Bank. You've never really heard it, but 
there's a first time for everything. So if anybody should, from the goalie standpoint, I think Mark would be a perfect candidate. So, no, I don't think you're needed. I think it's pretty creative, actually. We just know that Jordan Bennington's not going to get it. But Marc-Andre Fleury, no, yes. If you're going to pick a goaltender for the Lady, lady Bing, sure. you're going to go uh, Marc-Andre yeah. Fleury. Uh, this has been a lot of fun. Corey, thanks so much for stopping by today. Continued success on MSG Networks. And we'll be, uh, we'll be tuned in and look forward to catching up with you again. Thanks so much for doing this with me today. You got it, Jeff. Yeah, you got it. Thanks so much. Corey Schneider, uh, former NHL. Man, was he ever a good goalie, man. Oh, like there were times in Corey Schneider's career, like there was a span there where he was the best goaltender in the world, period. That guy was so legit. So good. Um, all right, and he's kind of getting on the board of, you know, Marc-Andre Fleury for Lady Bing, as we talked about with David Amber yesterday. Let's will this into existence, folks, in the, uh, in, in the spirit of chaotic trophy awards towards the end of the season. As many voters want to hop on this train, please do. Because normally we just look at it and say, well, it's a player who has a lot of points and low penalty minutes, and that's going to be our guy. Marc-Andre Fleury, do it, you cowards. I'm one of them. Uh, all right, we're going to hit a break here. Uh, and thanks to Corey Schneider for stopping by. We'll talk to Curtis Pashelka here coming up in a couple of moments at the San Jose Sharks. Uh, who wants any of these players? Uh, and they have a couple of players that are down, comma, again. Logan Couture out uh, with the groin and knee surgery for Tomas Hurdle. We'll talk about San Jose here coming up in a couple of moments. Elliot kicks off hour two. Yes, the hearing is still this afternoon. Despite the snowstorm in New York City, it is virtual. And let's all take a deep breath. Like, before you tweet anything about what the number ends up being, count to 10. And there are moments like this where I really feel that Twitter needs a breathalyzer. (laughs) Because if there was a breathalyzer for Twitter, would we be as disappointed at Twitter as we are? And it's about cases like this. No one is going to like what this number is, I don't suspect. Well, there will be very few who like what this number is, whether it is high or whether it is low. Let's try to keep the takes as sane as possible, knowing that sports is emotional and sports is tribal. Anyhow, we're going to talk to Elliot Friedman coming up in hour two. He'll kick it off, and also we'll get on the National Predators page with Robbie Stanley, uh, one, uh, one half of Robbie and Rex Road on uh, 102.5 The Game in Nashville, also a correspondent from NHL.com. And there's your show. Uh, that will take a break. Uh, come back and talk about San Jose Sharks, the team in Teal, as the Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network, simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and wherever you get your podcasts. Fresh views on everything in the National Football League. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Down top two centers. Yeah, put it over there on that list of other problems that we have here in San Jose. This has not been a season that has gone swimmingly. I don't think that the uh, design was necessarily to compete for a playoff spot. I'm just not sure that the owner of this team thought it was going to be like this. And now there are more problems. Tomas Hurdle with the surgery and Logan Couture is out with a groin issue, comma, again. Curtis Pichelka joins me now. San Jose Sharks beat writer, Bay Area News Group. Curtis, how are you today? Thanks so much for stopping by. You got it, Jeff. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Uh, uh, listen, the pleasure is mine to be on. The, uh, San Jose is actually one of my favorite teams uh, to talk about. I've always had a soft spot in my heart for San Jose. Uh, I, I, I've loved everything about uh, the team for a long time. Uh, love the jersey design. Love the helmets now. Like, There's so many things about San Jose to admire. I love when they go to the retros, the old California Golden Seals look as well. But on the ice this year, it has been outside of one stretch where they won some games. It's been a tough watch this year. Um, I, I opened up by saying I, I think that the the plan was for this team not to really compete, but I didn't know, and I don't think the owner knew that it was going to be like this. Do you think that's accurate, or did Hasso Platner have an idea that this was going to be Macklin Celebrini territory from the get-go? Well, I, I think they, they had a pretty good idea. Like you said, they weren't going to compete for a playoff spot, but 
you know, obviously it had when they when they were putting this team together in the off season. They they were obviously counting on Logan Couture sort of being there from the beginning and adding to a pretty good mix yeah. of starmen like you with uh, Tomas Hurdle, uh, Nico Sturm, and, and uh, you know, uh, Mikhail Gramlin coming in from from Pittsburgh. And so that's a pretty good lineup down the middle there just to start off with. And But obviously, Logan, you know, wasn't able to go throughout training camp, only came back last month. And, you know, Mikhail Gramlin got hurt early in the course of the season, then he got hurt again just before the All-Star break. And now Tomas Hurdle is out for several weeks. So, you know, obviously they, they, they do. There are going to be some growing pains this year. Some young guys were going to get a bit of an opportunity. But, uh, you know, like you said, it wasn't uh, necessarily uh, in the plans to uh, to be competing for uh, the number one overall draft pick. But now that they're here, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. You know, like we were talking to Mike Greer a couple of weeks ago, and he's saying, you know what, if the, if the ping pong balls go our way here, maybe this rebuild can be uh, hustled up a little bit. So sure. you know, we'll see what happens here. But, uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's been a tough go. I haven't had a season really this 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 terrible or this bad since uh, the mid-'90s, mm-hmm. uh, just before, right after the uh, – right before Daryl Sutter came in. So, uh, yeah, no, no doubt about it. It's been tough. Um, Curtis, uh, I want to ask you about Tomas Hurdle, and as you mentioned, this is this is left, I think it's left knee surgery, and and he's gone for a for a, for a while here now. Um, I, I really liked your piece with him uh, not too long ago, and it, it I I walked away from it, Curtis, saying, could they really move Tomas Hurdle? What do you think about that idea? You know, just from everybody, what what Mike Greer said at the start of the year, maybe what uh, Tomas Hurdle is saying right now, uh, I wouldn't completely rule it out. It's just it would just be a very tough deal to sort of try to pull off. Um, you know, obviously he's making uh, just over eight million dollars a year as far as his cap hit goes. He's still got six years left to go after after this one, um, yeah. and they've already filled their two retention spots for uh you know for at least this year and, and next year as well so uh you know is that an avenue that mike Greer wants to go down to well i mean if, if tomorrow Hurdle comes up comes up to him and and uh says maybe there's uh maybe it's time for a change of scenery if we don't think that we're going to be competing here for the next two three four years maybe that's uh maybe we could do like an eric carlson type deal and and, and and trade for future assets and, and maybe set yourself up for for more try to get more success down down the line. The, the flip the flip side is that you know you've lost a guy who is really sort of a standard bearer uh, for the young guys. Him, you know, Mario Ferraro, Logan Couture. You know, these guys sort of set the standard for uh, the young guys coming into the lineup uh, or coming into the organization here over the next couple of years. You know, some of the guys they they've drafted here. Uh, over the last two or three years, sir, you know you want those type of guys around to to lead by example, to hold guys accountable. Um, you know, because uh, you're you know him and Mark Gibbs, you know, those guys and Mark Kovarvasic are sort of the longest tenured sharks right now. So um, you need some of those players. So it's a little bit of a double edged sword for for Mike Greer. Obviously, he'd love to maybe try to get a bit younger, or get you know get. Uh, you know, sort of have a timeline in mind as far as when you want to sort of start competing again. But, um, you know, it's uh, it's tough to start, sort of trade those guys who have meant so much to this organization over the last 10 or years or so. Uh, where's the biggest need? Like, you look at the uh, pipeline, and now we're seeing, you know, William Eklund is is, is playing consistently. Will Smith is, is on the horizon at some time. Uh, drafted fourth overall last year. There was a number of young players they got from the New Jersey Devils and the Timo Meyer deal. W- where's the big hole? Like, it, it looks to me like it's in net. Um, but, I mean, you're there. You're closer to it than I am. When you look at what this team needs for the future as this you know, rebuild goes through uh, the remainder of the season and into the summer, where's the biggest need for San Jose? Well, I think you had it there as far as the, their goaltending. You know, um, you know, obviously, Kapo Kakanen is, is uh, unrestricted free agent here. Uh, Mackenzie Blackwood is yep. signed through next season. Um, you know, are those guys long-term fits? Do, does a Blackwood turn into a guy that you maybe re-sign and, and uh, keep around for a long ter- long while? I, I'm not 100% sure. As the guys they have in the American League right now have been a bit up and down this season. So, you know, if you, if you let go of Blackwood, 
um, you got to go shopping maybe all over again and try to figure out that position. It, it really is kind of a, a long-term question for this organization what they're going to do um, in that. You know, and you know, I would say the Sharks have always had sort of this offensive-minded defenseman. Uh, you know, over the last 15, 20 years or so, you go back to uh, a Dan Boyle and then a Brent Burns and then Eric Carlson. You know, all those right. type of players are had offenses sort of, uh, we're not necessarily offense first, but just guys who can quarterback your power play. And that's that's sort of another area of need for this organization. Do they have that? Is this a Shakir, Muka Madula, and that type of player? Well, we'll have to kind of wait and see. They, they like what they see so far, but uh, obviously there's still some right. some room to grow there. So, um, so I, I would say, you know, goaltending, finding the offensive defenseman, and also, you know, just some more depth uh, along the wings. Um, you know, just more scoring depth, maybe a little bit more, uh, you know, more of a Mike Greer type winger too. I think he's talked about that guy, so play a certain style. And I think I think you know, Mike Greer is going to be looking to do that maybe this off season to try to try to fill some of those spots. That's a big list. <laughs> like that's, a, that's, a, that's a really big list of knees, Curtis. <laughs> well, the 31st or I guess, you know, so. Yeah. Well, here, here's the, and, and you've written about this um, most recently. I, I do wonder, you know, at what point does San Jose want Will Smith to turn pro? Yeah, it's a matter of just like, can he have the, the physical and mental sort of rigors of, of an A2 game? schedule and you know what's best for him ultimately you know i think does he turn pro this year uh, you know sign an entry-level deal and then uh, you know kind of sort of come back and maybe try to make the club full-time in in the summer or in, in the fall and uh it's just a matter of, if, of whether or not he's not the biggest guy in the world can he handle the physical demands of, sure. of the league right now uh, does he need another year maybe some time in the american league to sort of round out his game and, and mature a little bit physically uh, that's a question, but uh, I know they're excited about him. You know, they they love his offensive. You know, the way the way he moves the puck, the way he his vision out there, mm. his skating. Uh, there's a lot to like there. So it's just a matter of uh, what's right for him. And I wouldn't completely rule out him turning pro uh, sometime this spring. Maybe after Boston College uh, goes to the Frozen Four, we'll see. There's a um, there, there's a number of players on this team. Whether it is Duclair, whether it's Hoffman, whether it's uh, Justin Bailey or Kevin LeBanc, Philip Zadina, that are on expiring contracts. Zadina's a restricted free agent, so so he's different. Uh, how much market is there? Uh, you mentioned Barabanov earlier as well. Oh, sorry, I mentioned uh, Kapo Kakanen uh, a little bit earlier. How much market is there for these players out there right now? Well, it's interesting. They're not. They're not maybe necessarily at the top of the food chain when, when you think of the big name guys, but you know you look at a guy like Duclair. I mean, his he had a great playoff run last year with, with Florida, and so people feel he has a bit of a history. I think I think I think that general managers kind of know what he's all about right now. Uh, Bear Bonoff had a very good year last year, but obviously it's been very it's been a kind of a tough go for him this year. But you know, we asked Mike Greer this question not too long ago: Was are you worried about? depressed assets is because some of these guys that maybe you were counting on to get a bit of a return just haven't really had great years. Um, so and he says, you know what, these guys all have histories. You know, general managers kind of understand where the Sharks are at right now and in terms of their, uh, you know, a transition kind of thing. So um, he, he's not necessarily saying he's going to get a, a ton for these guys, but I do expect, I think he does expect to get something in return and certainly doesn't want to certainly just walk them straight to free agency. So we'll kind of mm-hmm. see how it all comes out. My, uh, my guess is a declarer maybe kind of gets a, gets you a second rounder. Maybe a guy like Parabonov uh, gets you a third. Kakin, and if that, if that deal arises, maybe a third or a fourth as well. So uh, we'll see how it all, how it all kind of shakes out. But uh, we'll, uh, you know, I don't, uh, I don't necessarily see saying huge returns for these guys, but at the same time, you get a chance mm-hmm. to add some draft capital or maybe even guys who are, 19, 20, 21 years old, um, you know, that can't obviously be a bad thing too. 
And that's going to be the next big story for the San Jose Sharks. What happens to the draft and where they fit into uh, the lottery? And could it be a junior shark turning into a senior shark with uh, Macklin Celebrini? We'll we'll see about that. Uh, Curtis, thanks as always for stopping by. Much appreciated. I know it's not much by way of you know impact in in the NHL, either the trade market or not. But I, I still maintain that San Jose is a, an intriguing an intriguing topic and an intriguing team as well. Thanks so much for sharing your expertise. Much appreciated, Curtis. Thank you, Jeff. No problem. Curtis Pashelka covers the uh, San Jose Sharks, uh, which in a season like this is a really tough beat. Not going to lie about it. It's uh, really tough to, to cover a team that's, you know, losing the way that San Jose is. And it's got to be tough as a player, obviously. Um, going through February and you're just waiting for the season to end or a trade uh, to renew your season somehow. But there's a lot of players uh, on this team that this really feels like a job. Like one of the... Just having this conversation with someone yesterday. One of the uh, one of the tough things I think for all professional athletes is that moment where what used to be fun now really feels like a job, and for some people it really gets bad when it feels like a bad job. And there's a lot of pros there. A lot of people take a lot of pride in what they do. You don't get to the NHL unless you have that inside of you. I just can't help but you know, thinking about a lot of those San Jose Sharks players to say nothing of a lot of players on the Blackhawks who I feel quite the same way about, although Bedard is coming back next week. We'll see what that brings the Blackhawks, where this just feels like a bad job, and there's no end in sight. February's halfway through, and then there's March, and then there's April. There's still a lot of hockey to be played here for the San Jose Sharks, and now they're down Hurdle, and now they're down Logan Couture, again and trade deadlines on the horizon and i'm not really sure how much mike Greer is going to be able to do well certainly of significance if at all with this san jose sharks team whether it's barabanov whether it's lebank uh, i still think that there is a really good market out there for anthony declare any team looking for a speed element for the postseason anthony declare you've probably already started to make your phone calls uh, to see if you can get Anthony to declare. I do wonder if the Calgary Flames stay in it. Uh, if they are uh, interested in Anthony declare, we'll see, add that dimension of uh, of speed, maybe the Los Angeles Kings uh, as well. That may end up being one of the more intriguing teams come trade deadline time. Anyhow, uh, thanks to Curtis for stopping by. It is a really, really tough slog covering a team like this uh, as a day-in, day-out beat writer. Uh, for the San Jose Sharks. Uh, okay, Matt Marchese, uh, it is time now for Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local. What do you have your eyeballs on today? Uh, it's the Lightning at the Bruins. The puck line is Bruins minus one and a half. Boston is seven and two straight up in their last nine against Tampa. The under has hit in five of the last six between these two teams in Boston. And everybody's not favorite pest, even though he should be your favorite uh, even though he's not on your team, Brad Marchand is set to play game number yeah. 1,000 tonight. And I'm not going to lie, Jeff, when I saw that, uh, him and Petrangelo playing 1,000 games, I felt really old. <laughs> I've had those feelings for a number of years, Matt Marchese. Uh, <laughs> welcome to this part of your life. And uh, and having a, having a young kid only adds years, if not yep. decades, onto that feeling. Two intriguing teams and two teams that I, uh, I I don't necessarily so much wonder about with the postseason, although at times you really do wonder about Tampa and you say to yourself, is this going to be the season where they take that step back only to lurch forward again? Uh, you you really do wonder if this uh, if this latest Mikhail Sergachev injury can completely take them out of the playoff picture. I don't personally think so. Um, there's still too much talent there, still too good a team there. I don't know that... Julian Brisebois races out to try to replace uh, Mikhail Sergachev. Like, let, let's not forget here about the Tampa Bay Lightning. This is a team that was already looking for a defenseman before Sergachev got hurt. So now all of a sudden you're Julian Brisebois and you thought you were looking for one defenseman. Well, now you're looking for two and you know you can't come close to replacing what Mikhail Sergachev brought to your lineup. So maybe you say to yourself... This might not be the year. Maybe we keep our powder dry and swing back again and take another shot at it next year. 
see about that. That's a really talented and, uh, and, and exquisite squad to, to watch, and I, I would imagine coach as well for John Cooper. I do wonder about the Boston Bruins, though. You know, uh, hats off to Charlie Coyle. You know, he's been fantastic. Hats off to Pavel Zaka, who's been fantastic for the Boston Bruins. I don't think anybody thought that when Bergeron and Krejci left that these two were going to be able to pick up and keep the Boston Bruins up around tops of the division, if not the conference, if not the entire NHL, but they've done it. I don't know how aggressive Sweeney is come trade deadline time. I think it might be more tweak for the Boston Bruins than anything else, but make no mistake about it. They are legit threat to win Stanley Cup without Patrice Bergeron and David Krejci. Full marks, full marks to that Boston Bruins squad. That's Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sportsbook, Bet Local, Elliot Friedman on Morgan Riley on the other side. Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay, so it is Tuesday, uh, 13th of February. Tuesdays, this goes way back, with the Nashville Predators are special because of Philip Forsberg. Forsberg Tuesdays have been a thing for a while. Scores a uh, preponderance of goals on Tuesdays. We've also seen February because Philip Forsberg scores a lot of goals in the month of February. Frivolous topics indeed, but there are more serious ones we'll get into here with Robbie Stanley in advance of the Nashville Predators and the uh, New Jersey Devils tonight. Uh, co-host of Robbie and Rex Road on 1025 The Game in Nashville, also correspondent for NHL.com. Robbie, how are you today? Jeff, I'm doing great, man. How are you? Good. Um, Forsberg Tuesday, you on board? I'm on board. I mean, uh, the, the history would suggest that Tuesday is a pretty epic <laughs> day of the week for him scoring goals. And now in the month of February, we're one game in. He's got one goal in the month of February. We're off to a good start. Okay, here we go. Um, when, it, when it comes to Nashville, and I want to get to this game tonight against the, uh, the New Jersey Devils here and see if I can uh, make a marriage between a goaltender and a team. Uh, so much of the conversation around uh, Nashville off the ice involving UC Soros and his potential availability. Last year at the draft, not exactly a secret. Um, Barry Trotz was, you know, looking to make some, some noise. Nashville was hosting the draft, wanted to get up in the top five. Uh, the discussions with the San Jose Sharks was Askarov involved in those uh, discussions. We strongly believe so but given what Askarov has done this year with Milwaukee and good on Carl Taylor and that team 14 wins in a row that is a franchise record the attention has turned to the future of UC Soros in nets for the Nashville Predators your thoughts on all of this whether it's activity between Nashville and the Kings man we chased that last deadline too or a team (laughs) like the Carolina Hurricanes where are you at on the future of UC Soros in Nashville well, I think heading into this year, Barry Trotz wanted to sign UC Soros to a long-term contract. And he said that to uh, my colleague, Joe Rexroad, and I think that was the plan. And then you fast forward to February, and Soros has had a down year by his standards. And as you mentioned, uh, Skarov, who they drafted in the first round, has been unbelievable in Milwaukee this year. So I do wonder yep. if the way that those two things have gone on, if that has changed the mind of Barry Trotz and how he views the goaltending position moving forward. I, you know, UC Saros has been unbelievable in his career with the Predators, but I, I do wonder if in the back of your mind, as the Predators are going through a little bit of a rebuild slash retool here, do you think, all right, do we want to pay eight, eight and a half, whatever the number would be, million dollars to UC Saros, or do you kind of start the goaltending clock over again with a Skarov who, if he keeps playing the way he's playing right now, has the opportunity to be a special goaltender in the NHL as well. So, I know that Soros signing to a long-term deal was the plan heading into the year, but I do wonder if that's shifted now from Barry Trotz, and I think Carolina would be a very interesting fit. 
Uh, it certainly would, and if the uh, you know Elliot and I were just talking about this before he came on, if the uh, if the National Predators are looking for a goal scoring, which we strongly believe that they are, uh, Martin Natchez uh, could be a candidate there. We'll, we'll see where that one goes. You know, a couple of interesting things here. There is kind of a symmetry between what's happening in Nashville and what's happening in Calgary. Uh, in Nashville, as you mentioned, with uh, with Yaroslav Askarov with the Milwaukee Admirals, and also Calgary. Um, you know, the AHL team has housed Dustin Wolf for a few years. He has nothing left to prove at the American Hockey League level, much the same as the Milwaukee netminder. At a certain point, like when you look at the history of goaltending with the Nashville Predators, the blocking has to end. Like you understand where players get blocked initially because it's like, okay, we're not going to hand you a spot. Like you've got to jump over some hurdles here. you got to wait while the light is red. Like you're not just going to get handed a position. Like you need to earn it. Um, Askarov or Askarov, depending on how we want to say it, has earned that spot right now for the Nashville Predators. Nothing left to prove with the Milwaukee Admirals and Carl Taylor's team, same as Dustin Wolf. That's why I think a lot of us are looking at whether it's Jacob Markstrom or UC Saros and saying one of or maybe both these goaltenders are going to be going come trade deadline time. Yeah, I think it's a great point. And to your point about blocking players, I mean, I, I think Pekka played parts of three seasons in Milwaukee before he was finally called up full-time to the Predators. So, yeah. you know, Barry Trotz's style has been to kind of overcook players and make sure that they're ready. But, you know, I think Askarov has been outstanding and has proven that he's ready to play at the NHL level. So, uh, you know, Soros, the, the year that he's had, it's interesting because we were having this conversation in Nashville a year ago when he had two years left on his deal and tra- talking about maximum trade value, right? Like if you can sign him to a long-term yeah. deal, that's great. But if you were going to trade him, maybe this time last year, last off season would have been the time to do it. And I do wonder, does the way that he's played this year, plus the fact that you would only have one more year left of team control on the contract, how does that influence the return that they'll get for UC Soros? Um, just as an aside, off the goaltending page here, uh, Elliot always says, what are you, the president of the Carl Taylor fan club? Well, I just think what he's been doing in the past couple of scenes has been really impressive. And listen, he was interviewed for the Nashville job, obviously, that went to Andrew Burnett. But I think it, I think it's only a matter of time before other NHL teams, as they already have inquired, come calling for Carl Taylor. Um, just your thoughts on what he's done with Milwaukee, you know, franchise setting 14 wins in a row uh, for AHL Milwaukee. Just have a, a thought or two on Carl Taylor. And is is there a sort of feeling amongst the organization that he may not be long for the American Hockey League here? Well, I definitely think there's a feeling that, that he may not be long for the American Hockey League. As you mentioned, he, he interviewed for the Predators job last year, and he's done a really good job in Milwaukee for a few years now. And I know the, the fan base here, when John Hines was let go, there was a big part of the Predators fan base that just wanted them to go ahead and hire Carl, Carl Taylor. And obviously, Bear Trotz didn't do that. But as you mentioned, 14 wins in a row down there in Milwaukee. And he's done it really without – I mean, the, the Predators have had good players that they've drafted. But, Jeff, you know this. I mean, they've never really been bad enough to draft, like, the superstar forwards. And he's been able to be pretty consistent with his results anyway. So I, I think it won't be very long – before he's a head coach in the National Hockey League. And from everybody I talk to, he has the makings and the communication skills, I think, to be a really effective coach in the National Hockey League. Yeah, absolutely. I think the uh, the NHL is on the horizon, certainly for Carl Taylor. Okay, how frisky do you think Barry Trotz is come trade deadline time? Like last year at the draft, Nashville was all over it. You mentioned grabbing high picks. Uh, there were the conversations with the San Jose Sharks about that pick. Uh, Will Smith, we believe, was the desired target. Um, how aggressive do you think Barry Trotz is this trade deadline here? I think he's certainly going to look to be aggressive. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because they're, they're in a, a weird spot in the standings where they're right there on the edge. And you know, the Tyson Berry situation is still kind of ongoing. And yeah. you talked earlier this year about wanting a new opportunity. And I'm interested to see if that happens. There's the future of Dante Fabro and Alex Carrier to figure out. So, I mean, you could make a case that he could start looking the other way and maybe to sell off a few assets. But to your point, the, the Predators have never had one of those franchise-changing centermen and never one of those franchise-changing players up the middle that they really feel like can take them to the next level. And Barry Trotz has made no secret about it. He's talked about that from the moment he got in here. they got to find one, and they got to find one either via the draft, mm-hmm. which he tried to do last year, or with the cap space that he's opened up. They can, they can afford to be aggressive that way. So they've got a lot of assets that they've stockpiled. 
with the draft picks last year, a lot of them coming in that uh, Tanner Janot trade, obviously, from Tampa Bay as well. And I, I, do, look, I do think sure. Barrett Trotz will look to be aggressive and weaponize those picks if the opportunity presents itself. Does Martin Natchez make sense for the Nashville Predators from your point of view? Highly skilled. I've maintained that, you know, even though Carolina is a team that has Tavo Teravainen on it and Sebastian Ajo, that Natchez has the most skill of any player on that team. Has it all been put together yet? No. Uh, at times, does he drive Rudd Brindamore crazy? Yes, absolutely. But... If you can unlock it, if you're Andrew Burnett and you're saying, I can get to that, I can unlock Martin Natchez, would that be someone that makes sense for Nashville? I think it makes a lot of sense. And he kind of fits exactly what Barry Trotz, I think, is looking for. And he's talked about taking big swings, right? And I think Natchez certainly would qualify as a big swing. And like you said, it's not been perfect with him in Carolina. But just watching him up close a few times, I think he's got the skill set that is exactly what the Predators are missing right now. So I think Natchez makes a ton of sense. And if I'm the Predators, obviously, and I'm trading UC Soros away, that's certainly probably the name that I'm wanting to come back the other way. Yeah, 100%. Okay, so to tonight's game, it's uh, the New Jersey Devils, so it's back-to-back for New Jersey, facing off against the Nashville Predators. Uh, I mean, speaking of netminders, Jack Hughes saying, you know, when we get the saves, it's much easier to win. Uh, some may look at that and say, well, that's a compliment to Nico Dawes. Others may say that's a shot at every other New Jersey Devils netminder. <laughs> we know they look for help in the crease. Uh, what do you look for tonight in this game? We'll finish up with this one, Robbie. Like, What do you look for in this one between Nashville and New Jersey? Well, as you said, New Jersey with a big win last night against Seattle, so they're feeling good about themselves heading into this game. They did get 27 saves from Dawes last night. So from the Predators' standpoint, you know they, they had an ugly win the other night. They got down 4-2 to two to Arizona, battled back in the third period, and won in overtime. They, they need to get some of the young guys going. A lot of this year for the Predators has been about trying to develop some mm-hmm. of these younger players. They sent Philip Tomasino down to Milwaukee yesterday, Igor Apanasiev and Mark Jankowski coming back up. So I think they're looking for a spark from your Tommy Novaks and Cody Glasses and, and now Igor Apanasiev. He's had a great year in Milwaukee. they got to get some secondary scoring. Philip Forsberg and Ryan O'Reilly specifically have been dragging this team along with them, and they, they need some help, and, and they're mm-hmm. hoping the guys like Novak and, and Glass can do that. So that's what I'm looking for tonight. Can there be some secondary scoring beyond just that top line of Forsberg, O'Reilly, and Nyquist that steps up for Nashville? Give us a shot here. We'll end on this, Robbie. Give us a shot, a, a snapshot of what a New Jersey-Nashville Tuesday game is like for attendance. This isn't a division rival. This isn't a conference rival. This is a team that has a very marketable player in, in Jack Hughes. But like, give us a snapshot of New Jersey versus Nashville on a Tuesday night in February. Well, the, the attendance has been pretty good this year. And uh, I think people are excited about the team, the direction of the team. And tonight is also captain's night at Bridgestone Arena. So, you know, Tom Fitzgerald obviously already with New Jersey, but he'll be there. Mike Fisher will be there. Yep. Kimo Timonen and Shea Weber are going to be in the house as well. So I think the fans are really excited about that. They're going to have a pregame kind of ceremony. So I expect pretty much a full house That's tonight. Awesome. And, look, I think it's going to be a great environment at Bridgestone Arena. Uh, it's always a great spot. Listen, Robbie, thanks so much, as always, for stopping by. Much appreciated. Enjoy the games tonight, and enjoy following the UC Sorrow story. This is going to be one of the juicier ones uh, heading into the trade deadline. Thanks, as always, for stopping by, Robbie. Much appreciated, pal. Yeah, thanks so much, Jeff. Appreciate you. There he is, uh, the one and only Robbie Stanley, covering uh, the National Predators for NHL.com. Also, one half of a really good show, Robbie and Rex Rexford on 1025 The Game in Nashville. I love and know their hockey very much. Uh, a couple of moments left here. Let's bring Matt Marchese aboard again. If he hasn't already bounced, I would imagine Matty's still hanging around. Um, a couple of things. 11 games on the go around the NHL this evening. So, Matty, you already talked about the, uh, the Boston Bruins and the Tampa Bay Lightning, and that is certainly an intriguing one. Uh, the St. Louis Blues and the Toronto Maple Leafs will be intriguing for you know. by the time the puck drops, we'll probably know uh, how many games Morgan Riley has been suspended. Um, but there's a couple of other intriguing ones too, and as much as we're talking about the Carolina Hurricanes and you know, can they make a play for UC Saros uh, here, they're facing off against the Dallas Stars and at the beginning of the season, the dreaded, could this be a Stanley Cup preview conversation is the obvious one. Could this still be a Stanley Cup preview. 
I would not take it off the table. How about that? Like Dallas has has been so good all season, and you you know we talked about yeah. adding a defenseman, uh, one with maybe a little bit of nastiness. Um, you know, playoff type. Tanner, of, Tanner, yeah, I sorry. was going to say the, that Chris <laughs> Tanner guy. Yeah. Um, and yeah. they, you know, the, the thing with the thing with Dallas is when you look at the team. And you look at the scoring that they have and how well balanced they are. Like, look at look no further than the addition of Matt Duchesne and how good he's been this year with the Stars. You know, after being bought out, yeah. and he's been excellent. Uh, Joe Pavelski's still great. And, you know, the, the Hinces and Robertsons, all those guys. I'm so curious mm-hmm. about Dallas because they have the... And, and I don't know what the willingness is to move any of the guys that they have in the AHL that are playing so well right now. Maybe there isn't one. I can't see it. I but I but, can't see it. But they're so I, intriguing. I know what you're thinking. Logan's, Logan, Logan Stankoven and Maverick Bork. Yeah, well, and, and the reason why I say that is, Jeff, because there's <sighs> always that thought in the back of your mind, like, we could go out and add a significant piece here. We have the pieces to do it. Like, you always weigh, like, you know, and you're not guaranteed to win a Stanley Cup when you make a big move. But when you look at it, you yeah. there's got to be that intrigue if you're Jim Nill to be like, we're really close here. We've got the goalie. Our forwards are really good. Our, our defense is really good, but we could use one more. Like, could we go out and make the big splash to really push us over the top? And I, that's why I wonder. Like, obviously, you're not moving both, but one of them, and you're looking and going, yeah. oh, man, that's a really interesting option, intriguing option. So, And for Carolina, if they get some goaltending, you look at the team and go, yeah, I could absolutely see it, especially because they play a really disciplined game, and they have a lot of high-end talent. The the reason that I would say uh, no is it's not as if this team has a window that's closing. Mm-hmm. Like, you look at some of the ages of some of the players, right? Joe Pavelski is 39 years old. To your point, he's still performing. I think Joe Pavelski is going to play until his skates fall off his feet. He's just so good. But eventually, you know, uh, time catches up to uh, to everybody. Um, Ryan Suter has very much taken a step back in his game. Now, mind you, he still has one more year on his contract, uh, but he's playing, you know, way, way down the depth chart here for the Dallas Stars. But this is a squad that still has basically a really young team, right? And it's Jason Robertson and it's Jake Ottinger. Uh, it's Rupe Hens. Like, these are all still youngish players. Matt Deshane is 33 years old, and I think that's a, I think that's a really good one that you key in on, Matty. Because this has been such an amazing fit for Matt Deshane. And I think that if he's going to stay with the Dallas Stars, and it seems like he wants to and the team wants him to stay there, I don't think it's going to be a deal for term. I think Jim Nill feels maybe burned is a little bit strong. Well, I'll use it anyway. Maybe a little bit burned by some of the the, the longer-term deals for older players that he's signed. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can see if Matt Deshane wants it, a shorter-term deal to get him to stay. And I think that as some of the older players sort of fall off here, the core is still very much in place. And I think the core has room to complement with Maverick Bork and, and, uh, and, and Stankoven, who are, you know, maybe the two best, <laughs> to be blunt, the two best young players in the American hockey oh, league, yeah. to be perfectly honest with you. So I'd, I don't know if they get rid of them right now. Like if it was like, okay, the window is closing. Let's see if we can get a Stanley Cup here. Maybe then you do it. But this window's open for a long time, man. We didn't even mention Miro Haskinen, yeah, who's going to collect you know Norris trophies Thomas by Harley. the time his 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 career is done, and Thomas Harley, who looks fantastic yeah. too. The, well, I'll tell you what, you know who I you know who I wonder about, knowing that they want some size and snarl. Like I sort of cough joked and said, Chris Tanev. I can see them wanting Chris Tanev. I can see a lot of teams wanting Chris Tanev. I wonder if the price is right, and by price is right, I mean price is cheap if the Dallas Stars would be interested in Nikita Zadorov. I really do wonder if that could be a thing for the Dallas Stars. I ultimately think that the, the player that they want is, um, uh, is Chris Tanev on that back end. But I wonder if they can do it on the budget, if Zadorov could be a fit there. Yeah, very interesting. But it should be a good one. Yeah. Carolina Hurricanes and Dallas Stars green versus red. Can they please just wear those two colors tonight, Matty? <laughs> yeah, can you, you please do that? Yeah, good luck for all of us. <laughs> yeah, good luck is right. Uh, okay, thanks to Robbie Stanley for stopping by the program today. It is the Nashville Predators facing off against the New Jersey Devils. Uh, Elliot Friedman will find out about the uh, the number. Is it a five? Is it a six? Can the Maple Leafs get it to a four? 
Oh, the theories if they do. Uh, Curtis Pichalka caught us up on the San Jose Sharks. It's an intriguing team for nothing really happening. Corey Schneider from MSG Network as well. And uh, you just heard from Matt Marchese to close and open the show today. Thanks to David Sis, Lance Kennedy, Frank Baraska, and you for listening or watching. Back at it tomorrow, noon Eastern, 9 Pacific, on Sportsnet Radio Network.